Welcome to Dear 20-something. I'm Erica, the host of this podcast, and I'm so excited to have you here. A bit about me, I'm a 20-something social entrepreneur and investor who is navigating the ups and downs of being in my 20s. The Dear 20-something podcast started because we wanted to create a space for ambitious and curious 20-somethings to connect with the successful changemakers they most look up to. While the 20s can be a time full of questions and doubts, we're here to humanize the whole thing. You'll hear from successful trailblazers who will share the highs and lows of their 20s, and you'll also get words of wisdom from some experts who will speak on a certain topic relevant for 20-somethings. And then sometimes it'll just be me, on the mic, hosting an episode where I share recent reflection or story from my own life, as I too am navigating this wild decade. We're so happy to have you here. Let's get started. Today on the show, I am so excited to be chatting with Irene Forte. Irene is the founder and driving force behind Irene Forte Skincare and a renowned leader in wellness. In 2018, Irene debuted her eponymous skincare line, which was initially launched into all Rocco Forte spas and as hotel in-room amenities. With the private organic farm Ventura Societa Agricola to sustainably source the principal ingredients, Irene turned to the renowned pharmacologist, Dr. Francesca Ferry, of Effigy Lab in Trento, who holds over 35 years of skincare research and development. Alongside Irene, they worked for a number of years to create a line that distills the sun-soaked richness of Sicilian plant extracts into formulations that are scientifically sophisticated and offer the Mediterranean diet for your skin. As a result, Irene Forte proudly presents the new natural, a line of 26 clean natural products with formulations guided by science. Each of the approximate 75 active ingredients have been chosen to work in harmony with one another and complement the body's natural biochemistry. I can't wait to chat with her and share her story with you now on Dear 20-something. Please welcome Irene Forte. How's it going? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me. How are you? Good. We're just discussing the time difference. If you can't tell from Irene's accent, she is not in America. She's based somewhere else. Do you want to share everyone where you are right now? Yeah, I'm in London. You have a beautiful background behind you with a plant on the side. Where are you located right now? I'm actually working from home today, which is quite nice, although it's a bit hot now because I've got kind of a glass roof in in the office that I work in and it gets really, really hot with the sun. (laughs) I can imagine. It looks like you're in a spa for some reason. Maybe that's how you've intentionally set up your office, but... It definitely gives off very relaxing wellness vibes. Well, before we dive into the meat of it, we do like to start every show with a bit of like a fun question for you. And it's perfect because today's a Monday. So you can pull from the weekend. What is something new that you learned in the past week? Maybe something from this weekend. It could be a conversation you had or a book you're reading or even something about like an ingredient you're working on. But something new from the past week you learned. Something really random, actually, because I was watching the women's football Euro final yesterday, so soccer in the US. Well, soccer for women in the UK has not been a popular thing for uh, ever, really. But they won the Euros, and so it was talked about a lot. And I found out that women's football was banned in the UK for 50 years, from 1921 to 1971. So that's really also partly why it hasn't been a big thing. But I'm obsessed with football, but obviously I follow male football. And I didn't know that. So Wow, that is random. Do you know why it was banned? Did something happen in like the 1920s that made it be banned? Or you don't know? No, it was banned because they didn't believe that, that women should be playing football. So from a sexist perspective. Wow, that's really devastating. But I'm glad it's making a comeback. 
We have something similar going on in the States, less so that it was banned. I'm not sure about that, but we've had this real big pay issue here where our male football stars slash stalker stars have been paid significantly more money, but are always underperforming the other male soccer teams across the world. So when you go to like the World Cup or the Olympics, our male soccer team doesn't do well, but they get paid way more money. Whereas our female soccer team always wins gold. I mean, last year they didn't, they did in the Olympics, you know, but, but for the most part, they always go kind of top three. So I think that's something that we're kind of dealing with here is like overcoming the sexist stereotypes with soccer specifically. But that's amazing. Did they win? I feel like they won, right? The UK, they, they won their first game ever. Yeah, they won their first. I'm not sure if it was then. I think it's the first tournament that they've won. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Isn't it crazy? I think in 2022 to still have firsts for things like that. It's still like, how has that never happened before? I think we've progressed enough. Awesome. Well, glad you were into it. I did not watch it all, but thank you for watching and representing. Okay, so let's get started. So we're obviously going to talk about your journey in wellness and skincare, which has been such a through line in what you've done. But I'd love to know more about like childhood and when you were younger, were you always really passionate about nature and science? What were some of the things or maybe even business? Were there any early signs when you were a child that you wanted to pursue the career path you did? Yeah, What were some of your early interests? When I was really young, I was quite obsessed with finding ways to make money. So I, I guess I was quite entrepreneurial. I'd spend like my summers in Tuscany. We'd spend three months uh, in Tuscany in the summer, during the summer holidays. I was quite young. I must have been like 10. And over those three months, we were quite bored. So we would always, I would be finding ways to make money. So I did things like cracking the outer shell of the pine kernels. So collecting all these these pine nuts and then bagging them and then going up onto the street by the house and, and selling them. And obviously people felt sorry for me. So they would, they would buy these um, bags of, of pine kernels from me. But I would collect money over the summer through doing silly things like this. And then I actually wanted to be a football manager. So hence the fun fact on female football being banned because I, I always played football with men because female football wasn't a thing when I was growing up or with boys, not with men. So I played on my little brother's team and I wanted to manage a, a male football club when I grew up. So those were kind of my, there was definitely an entrepreneurial obsession with making money, but then I was really passionate about football. I love it. But also it sounds like leadership. Like if you wanted to manage a team, you were like, I want all these people reporting to me. I want to tell them where to go, which sometimes is, is a bit of like a leadership quality. That's what CEOs tend to do. They tend to manage big organizations, people moving around. So you played soccer. Did you play for fun down the street or did you play like as part of the club and part of the team with them? So we kind of created a team where we had like a, a coach, uh, one of the Fulham football club youth team coaches and it was me and my brother's friends and we ended up playing in tournaments actually and they captained the team and that was it was fun until the the boys started getting bigger and taller than me and then I couldn't really play with them anymore but when I was younger it worked quite nicely oh that's so lovely and it's so nice that you had such a good relationship with your siblings they were okay with that I think a lot of times now when you're young, you hear all the time there's brothers and sisters that don't get along and 
they push each other around, but the fact that your brother's also so welcoming and letting you be part of the team is really cool. Did you have a really close relationship with your siblings growing up? Yeah, really close. So I have a younger brother who who I uh, I jumped in on his team, and then I have an older sister. But we also then we ended up working together as well because they work in in my family's business. So we spend a lot of time together. Super close, all of us. So lovely. So tell me more about your family's business and like when you got more involved from the working side versus just the play fun side. I'd love to hear more about like that that origin story and when you got more involved. Sure. So my father has a uh, luxury hotel chain, which is 13 properties now, family run. And I spent a lot of my school holidays working in the hotel. So from the age of 16, I worked in various departments and I always really enjoyed it. It's a, it's a fascinating industry. And then when I graduated from university, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. I was thinking of going into management consulting and my dad kind of convinced me to come and work in one of his properties in in London. And I just went through, I did a development program. So I went through all the departments again. I worked in housekeeping at reception, sales and marketing, accounts. I didn't do F&B because that's always been my sister's domain or area. So I didn't do food and beverage. And I did that for six months. And then I kind of was convinced by my dad to come in and work in the central office on a project. That's how he kind of got me in. It was a project initially. And I rewrote all of our service standards. So standard operating procedures, our brand service standards. And then I started to eventually run learning and development for the hotels. And I was very heavily involved in HR. And then I was kind of in without having the intention of necessarily going in and staying in. And I was in, and then I I did various things for the hotels over the years. So I was always very uh, entrepreneurial. I was allowed to be very entrepreneurial. I sat in on the executive committee, so I understood how the business was being run. And I developed a careers app for our people, our team, which I got government funding for. I got £250,000 of government funding to help support career progression in in hotels and and to develop our people in the hotels. I then uh, created our families program called Families Are Forte. And I then ended up creating our spas program on the side because I was always extremely passionate about wellness that started with sport, then healthy eating, and eventually more of the spa side, the treatment sides and things. And so that's kind of how I then ended up rather organically thinking about launching a skincare line. But I was always trying to find what was next. And I always knew that eventually I was going to want to run something myself. But that's so lucky that you got such a well-rounded experience and that you were given the opportunity to be so entrepreneurial inside that organization. I think so many people that feel that way, they end up having to start side projects or they end up having to leave, but you were able to experiment and build and start new projects within the organization because you had that family trust, you had proven yourself, all the things. And I think that's such a special experience to have. I also love that you got to do that rotational program. I know there's a lot of different organizations now that offer out that to people just out of school. And I've seen that that can be so helpful in kind of narrowing down like which area 
lights you up and gets you most excited. Before we go into more of, of your time in the hotel management, I'd love to hear just a little bit about college. And I got really excited when I saw where you went to school. I have a few questions. So you went to Oxford, which is obviously an amazing institution. Can you tell me a little bit about why you decided to go there and how you liked your experience? I decided to go there because I guess Oxford and Cambridge in the UK are are considered the best universities. And if you can get in, then you can't really turn down the opportunity, I think. In terms of uh, my experience, I mean, it was amazing. I was I studied French and Italian, but literature. So I was studying writers with tutors that had written all the crit texts on these writers. So it was all kind of one-on-one tutorials or very small groups with these amazing tutors. So it really taught me how to think, to be creative. I really learned how to write, actually. I don't think I could write properly before I went to university, really. I got to read a lot. And it was an extremely competitive environment because everyone there had got top grades and, you know, was really hungry, which I found challenging at times because I'd come from a very nice Catholic or girls school and, you know, we were all really sweet and supportive. And suddenly I was uh, in this environment where everyone's trying to get one up on you. But this high kind of pressure environment, I think, set me up so well for the business world. In fact, I always say that I've never had the same stress, even in running my own business, as I had during my final year at university doing those final exams. It was a lot of work, but an incredible experience, which taught me, it taught me a lot about myself and how to think, I think. Yeah, absolutely. That's unbelievable. I know the style of learning as well, you hinted at it, but is really different than America with the one-on-one tutorials. It really keeps you on your feet because you can't hide in the back of a classroom or not show up. You have to be basically grilled by these amazing brilliant scholars, like you said, who are most of the time writing the texts. It's a different level of knowledge you have to have because it's so one-on-one. And I think a lot of people don't know that. I can't imagine how hard that was. When you say that that was the most challenging time, was it because of the competition from others? Was it the pressure you put on yourself? Was it the amount of work you had to do? Like, What do you think was really the reason why that final year was harder than now running your own business? I think it was the combination of everything. So the amount of work, the brilliance of the people around you as well, which obviously makes you put even more pressure on yourself because you want to, you need to keep up. And it's an environment where I definitely felt more insecure than in the working world, funnily enough. The working world felt easier. Maybe there was also a bit of familiarity because you'd been working in your hotel business for a while. You'd already been kind of tinkering on projects. Maybe there was like a familiarity to working and they're less so this like very intense academia, which I know can be overwhelming. Exactly. And like with work, you get things done, you get through it. With academia, you could keep reading more. You can't really finish a job in a sense. I know with work, you can keep researching more. You could, you can always make something better, but the tasks are easier to kind of complete and get through 
Whereas I find when I was writing essays, you know, I could read a hundred books to make the essay better. So there was never really an end or I, I could keep studying. I could keep revising because like it would only make it my grades better. I think it's well said. You can't imagine that never ending. You almost have to set your own boundaries. Like 20 books for this essay is good enough. I will not do more. And it requires like an extreme level of personal boundaries to make sure that you don't stay up till really late at night, every single night, doing more and more and more and more and sacrificing your health because of it. So you're at Oxford, you choose to major in modern languages, which you've now shared is like French and Italian literature, which is something that I will say as an American, we aren't that cultured or we don't think about people outside of America. We never really study texts. Like we have some people that become English majors and typically that's just because they're great writers, but they're majoring in English because they already speak it. So they're just reading books in English. It's just so rare to hear. And I think a lot of people in Europe really appreciate other cultures in Europe. They read, they know other languages. So can you tell me a little bit about like why you chose to major in modern languages? And also, is that common? Because I feel like I've never met anyone in America who's taken such an interest in that way. So it's very common, I guess. And I think the reason why I was really interested is Whilst I'm Italian, I grew up in, in the UK. I never lived in Italy, but obviously I'm I'm very connected to my Italian roots. So I felt that by studying Italian literature, all the classics or even modern, postmodern was a really nice thing to do. And then naturally I would also improve my Italian because I speak Italian, but I'd never studied the language. So my grammar was non-existent. I just picked up what I learned from my mother and my grandmother when we were little, or when we spent summers in Italy. And then French, I wanted to be able to speak another language too. And I mean, French culture is also extraordinary. So I thought it would be interesting. And, and it was, that's kind of why. And I, it, it was just about like learning how to think, reading more, being able to write. It's basically an English degree, but that you're reading the books in French and Italian. And I wrote my essays in English, so not in French or Italian. It's very interesting. I think it's a refreshing take on how to do university that we don't really have in America. Like the way you're talking about it is even just, you picked it because it sounded interesting and it was going to teach you how to think. And I think the attitude here is pick a major or pick something to study that's going to get you a good job, that's going to pay you well, that's a good decision, not necessarily a passionate or something you're interested in. So I think it's actually a really refreshing take that we don't hear enough here. And I love that it's so common over there that everyone's just picks what they're interested in and it teaches them how to think. And that's just what university's for versus in America. I think it's so different. It's great to hear your perspective. Okay, so you're at university, then you are working at your family hotel business. By the end of your time there, I think if I have this right, you were ended up being there doing all these various projects for a little over eight years, which is pretty incredible. You obviously learned so, so much. By the end of your time there, you were serving as the wellness director. Could you tell me a little bit about how you fell into this world of wellness and like, what does that mean? What, what was your day-to-day as the wellness director at, director at the hotels? So I, when I was doing kind of the learning and development and HR side, I started to look at wellness for our people and our team and how we made the work environment better for them and what we could do. And that kind of 
naturally made me think about, well, what are we doing for the guests? And no one was looking after wellness for the hotels and no one was looking after the spas. And so I kind of started by doing, asking if I could do that on the side because obviously I would have never been allowed to just go, okay, goodbye, L&D and HR. I'm just going to do wellness now. So it was all a... Then I started getting involved in... I got involved in the Global Wellness Summit, which I'm on the board of now, which is a summit that's run every year with extremely interesting people in the wellness space. And there's a lot of hotels involved, but a lot of individuals, doctors, a lot of research comes out of it. And I got involved in that and that obviously opened up a whole world to me that I didn't know much about. I was interested in sport and healthy eating, but kind of, you know, the merging of medicine and kind of wellness. I basically went, I got invited to speak at the summit one year because they'd seen the wellness concept that I had created for the hotels, which was a 360 degree approach. It was about wellness without walls. So wellness not being just limited to the spa itself, but offering kind of healthy food throughout all the outlets uh, in Rome via the minibar, offering fitness outside of the gym. So cycle seeing, sightseeing, running. So seeing all the sights whilst going running. And then also we looked at other different things. So mind, how to improve people's sleep kits in Rome, mindfulness videos in Rome. And then of course, like the spa being the base place where you can receive different types of treatments, a place where you can go to the gym. We also worked on in-room fitness. So different fitness videos in Rome and kind of a roll-in fitness bag. And so this kind of 360 degree approach was what I thought was made sense in a hotel environment and and then I went to speak at the Global Wellness Summit about this spa wellness concept I had created for the hotels and that's when I started to listen to all these amazing people talk about amazing research reversing aging all sorts of amazing things and kind of then I got very hooked into that space and then the skincare line kind of started from all of that. Yeah, it's so cool to hear you talk about this like holistic view. I think, like you said, a lot of people talk about it at summits and we hear it in the media, like all these different things that you should be doing. But to have it as an offering at a hotel is actually a really interesting idea. And I don't think very common and very cool that you decided to launch that and build that. Tell me more about how you decided skincare and starting your own thing was the next step for you. So you're, you're working as a wellness director in the hotels. You've launched this really successful offering for the hotels. And then some part of you says, after all this time, after all this learning, I'm ready to jump off, take a risk and start a skincare brand. Can you tell me about what that, like kind of what was that turning point for you when you decided to jump off and do your own thing? And why skincare versus like a meditation thing or a movement thing, which are things that you've already been doing in the wellness space. Skincare is a little different. So I'd love to hear how that transition went. I didn't intend to leave the hotels when I decided to do the skincare line initially. What I wanted to do was I wanted to create a unified thread across the group spas because we were using a lot of different brands. And in my time working in the spas, I actually saw how that it was quite difficult to find a brand that was the right fit 
for the spas. And so it was more to fill the spas needs initially. I wanted something that was natural, but that wasn't naive, that was kind of backed by science and that had clinical trial results because I found a lot of the like more holistic products on the market were very nice and, you know, very experiential, but they didn't achieve results. I wanted something that was experiential, but not fragrance with essential oils that are highly allergenic. So I was seeing what was happening to my therapist that were working daily with essential based products. They were getting rashes on their wrists and things. So I wanted to find a way to fragrance my products without the allergenic effect of essential oils. And so that's kind of, and then we have this amazing farm in Sicily and I was like, well, wouldn't it be amazing if we could use these ingredients? It kind of all just fell into place a little bit. Then the hotels didn't want to invest in a full-blown skincare line because understandably it's not their business. So that's when I thought, well, let me try and on my own on the side whilst I'm still doing my job and I will launch it into the spas. That was kind of the idea behind it. There was no real, uh, obviously, if I had just launched it in the spas, it would have never really uh, been able to fund it. So I didn't really think about that at the time, basically. I was like, this is a need, the spas need it. Hotels don't want to do it. I'm going to do it on the side. That was kind of the, and so it took me three years to develop. I tried and tested the products with all the spa professionals at the hotels. I had met Dr. Ferry in 2014, and that's actually when we started working together. And she's just brilliant. She's a brilliant scientist, scientific director today. She's done a load of research on dermatitis, psoriasis, and more recently, on epigenetic modulation through topical application of plant extracts. And so she really allowed me to create these products that were experiential using the ingredients grown at the farm that were clinically proven. We've done hydration, anti-wrinkle, antioxidant trials, and that weren't allergenic because we've got this lab formulated allergen screened fragrance in our products. And so the products are also certified for sensitive skin. So she helped me do that. We launched in the spas in December 2018. We were getting going. This was nice. I was still doing my other job. All good. COVID hit. And we lost all of our spa. I lost all of my spa business, obviously, because all the hotels shut down. And so I was like, okay, either I give up on this actually amazing project and we've created some really great products and the concept is great and it's being really well received or I have to find external investment launch an e-commerce and get into retailers so I closed a raise and I left my full-time role at the hotels which I did not do lightly because obviously I'm very attached to the hotels but I felt like it was time it was the right decision at the time it is the right decision even now but I I, I had wasn't something that I was easy to do. And I've launched with almost 60 retailers globally since. And the brand has grown by 350% this year. And I now consult on the Rocco Forte Spas, or my company does. And I have launched four Rene Forte Spas within the Rocco Forte 
hotels as well. And the spas have since obviously reopened. So that's a really nice base to my business. But of course, it's now grown well beyond that. And so it was kind of something that happened fairly organically. There was a lot of luck involved as well, because things just fell into place at the right time, I guess. Wow. Thank you for walking us through all that and kind of how that came to be. I think this organic way where you just saw it as a need first and then you built makes a lot of sense. And I think is the ideal way to do it. You would like a built-in customer base to test it, which was the spas. You had, you know, flexibility with your work because they trusted you and they knew you and they knew it was fine if you did this on the side. And I think that's the best way to build something. I think that's a great, it's a great story. But then obviously COVID changed everything. Can you tell me a little bit about who your e-commerce brand is for? So obviously we have a lot of 20-something listeners. There's a lot of obviously amazing skincare brands out there. I'd love to hear a little bit more about like what makes you guys different and who you who's like your target customer for some of your skincare products, especially the e-commerce ones that they could like go out and get, you know, online. So our biggest market is actually 35 to 45, but that's because we have a lot of anti-aging kind of more clinically proven to visibly reduce wrinkle kind of products. And because I launched in luxury hotel spas, so the demographics naturally are slightly higher age age range. However, it's closely followed now by 25 to 35 year olds. And we are just about to launch our relaunch our lavender range that are more targeted towards uh, their products that are more targeted towards younger skin types. So more purifying, more lightweight, lots of also brightening ingredients such as glutathione, which is a super antioxidant, always very high, still very hydrating ingredients like hyaluronic acid, omega rich oils. So those, that's the lavender face cream with glutathione and the lavender tetra acid mask, which has uh, alpha hydroxy acids and azelaic acid in there. And uh, the lavender foam cleanser, which is a really nice purifying, balancing cleanser. They're also slightly, uh, have a slightly lower price point than some of the other more anti-aging products. And then we're very eco-conscious. So all all of our 30ml and 50ml are refillable. So we're seeing a lot of repeat purchases now with, with the refills. And we are newly B Corp certified as well. So it's big focus on a kind of a 360 degree approach to sustainability. I'm not sure if I really answered your question there, but. (laughs) You did. That's perfect. No, it's great to just hear a little bit more about the differentiation between a lot of these skincare brands, you know, like one that's taking more of an anti-aging approach and one that's taking more of a sustainability approach or a little bit of both. Because I think it's so hard as a consumer, I'm someone where. I care about my skincare. I care about beauty, but it's not a passion of mine. I just like to get the things that are going to perform, that are going to be within my budget, and that are going to be like well-reviewed by other people. And it can be sometimes difficult to decipher what is the difference between all of these beautiful packaging, really amazing founders. And so I like to kind of tease out just like, what are the few main differences? I do have a question for you on anti-aging because I think this is something that I'm seeing a lot. So I think 20-somethings have beautiful skin, but for the most part, and they should wear sunscreen and they should drink water and do all the things. But I'm seeing some 20-somethings getting Botox and seeing some 20-somethings that use all these products every morning and night. They're like obsessed with their skincare routine, as in like 10 products, you know, at night. 
What are your thoughts on that? As someone who studied like anti-aging, is this something that you should consider when you're older? Is this something you should always be considering? Are there certain pieces of advice you have? I'd love to just hear your thoughts on that because I feel like I'm the crazy one. I'm like, I don't, I'm just going to wash my face and put on lotion. Like I keep it simple, but some people really kind of go above and beyond whether it's Botox or, or lots of products. So what are your thoughts on that? So my thoughts are that healthy skin is about having a 360 degree approach. For me, that does not include Botox in your 20s or even in your 30s. I think that kind of ruins the ruins the balance of your face. And I have a lot of friends that did Botox in their 20s and now they've just continued to keep doing more and are starting to look a bit more swollen. And I just think it's better to age naturally having a very nice skincare regime. So I think product, I, I know products make a difference. I don't believe in 20-year-olds using overtly harsh ingredients or anyone really kind of ripping off layers of their skin, like retinols and things. I believe in being very kind on the skin, so giving the skin ingredients that it needs, so nourishment, hydration, a very nice cleanser, like a cream base, something that's not going to be too stripping, a nice serum and a nice face cream would be perfect for a 20-something-year-old's routine, it does make a difference. And from your mid-20s, your collagen production starts to decrease. Your hyaluronic acid production starts to decrease. So you're unfortunately already starting to age mid-20s. And then it it depends on on the skin that you've got. Some people wrinkle earlier. Some people do wrinkle in their 20s. And then you might want slightly more peptide-based products or, you know, products that are proven to reduce wrinkles. Most 20-something-year-olds just need nice hydration and nourishment, hyaluronic acid, omega-rich oils, even some ceramides, basically. That's my take. And that has to be combined with drinking a lot of water, eating well, sleeping. Sleep is vital. Also some nice, like, nice manual treatments facials and things, nothing aggressive, these lasers and things for someone in their 20s, I think personally is too much. Yeah. I really like your holistic approach. I think it's so key because what does it matter what you put on your skin if you're not sleeping and you have bags under your eyes? You can only do so much with skincare and makeup. You just have to take care of yourself and let your body do a lot of the work. I think that's something that I try to live by too, that we can put all these external products and do all these treatments from other plant-based things outside in the world. But like a lot of the times our bodies were built to be strong, sustainable. We can fix ourselves a lot of the time and you have to let your body sleep and drink water and all the things because typically we can internally handle like 80% of the work. And then it's these other products that maybe gets us to that, you know, extra 20%. Well, this has been so fun chatting with you. We have one question we ask all our, our guests as sort of the final question what is that one piece of advice you would give to all 20-somethings across the world? If you could just narrow it down to one thing, separate from no Botox, what is that one piece of advice? It's really hard because I like to say, you know, just experience things and, and have a good time. But then at the same time, you know, the world's competitive. The working world is competitive. It's tough. So I would say spend your 20s trying to find something 
to do that you're ultimately passionate about. So try things, experience things and, and find your fit, your thing, so that then in your 30s, you can kind of build on that thing that you found. I like it. It's so hard to find the thing. And there's typically many things that people like. But I like this idea to look seeking in your 20s to then build in your 30s. I think that's spot on. Well, this has been so fun chatting with you. Thanks so much for coming on, Irene. Could you let everyone know where they can learn more about you on social media and where they can try out your skincare products if, if they're interested in learning more? Or if, you know, even gifting it to people who they think would be interested if it's not exactly for their age range. Yeah, sure. So IreneForteSkincare.com is our e-commerce platform. And then Instagram handles IreneForteSkincare or mine's IreneForte. And then in the US, we're a bit all over. So you can find us on Nordstrom, Bagdorf Goodman, Shen Beauty, Onda, to name a few. Amazing. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. This has been so fun. And it's it also keeps it easy too when it's the same name. Your name is the same as the skincare. We can just look it all up. It's easy to remember. Thank you so much for being here. This was so fun. Very cool to hear about your story. And one just personal note, I actually spent a summer in Oxford and had the most magical experience ever. I did not have the intense one-on-one tutorials that you did. I did not study modern languages, but very cool to hear about your experience there because it has a special place in my heart. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for being here and we will chat soon. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So nice to chat. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Dear 20 Something. If you enjoyed it, you can give us a follow over at Dear 20 Something on Instagram or subscribe here or anywhere you get podcasts.